Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Andrea Owen. She is the author of three books, Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind, and Own Your Strength, and 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, and How to Stop Feeling Like... 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back From Happiness. Andrea is also the host of the Make Some Noise podcast, which I am proud to report is a member of the Atalyst Media Podcast Network with over 4 million downloads. Andrea is an author. She's a global keynote speaker and professional certified life coach who helps high-achieving women maximize unshakable confidence, master their mindset, and magnify their courage. Welcome, Andrea. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. So you start your book about 14 habits with your own starting point, your journey. Take us a little bit to how you started in this work and how you found yourself in that place. Mm -hmm. Well, I had heard about life coaching a couple of years before my life exploded. And before that, in my 20s, it was the 90s, and I was sort of dabbling in personal development, and but I didn't really know anybody who was interested in that. So I sort of pushed it aside. And I, you know, I was 30 years old. I had been married for a few years to someone I had been dating since I was a teenager. We were talking about starting a family. We always knew we wanted one. And he had an affair with our neighbor who lived across the street and got her pregnant instead of me. And so, I mean, that's what sort of kicked off that whole phase of my life. And we split up and it was dramatic and it was just so much drama. I mean, as you can imagine. And I started dating someone right away and we fell in love and it was great. Unfortunately, he had terminal cancer. The long and short of that story, this new boyfriend, he never had cancer. He lied about it to cover up, sadly, his drug addiction. And I found myself pregnant with his child. And I was on the floor, you know, in the fetal position, just thinking like, how did I end up here? You know, I was 31 at that time. I was so ashamed of where I had ended up. But honestly, when I was able to pick myself back up, off the floor and kind of dust myself off and think like, where do I go from here? I looked at it as a an invitation to take radical responsibility for my life. Because I up until that point, I had put all my happiness in somebody else's basket. I mean, you know, more specifically the men in my life. I'm like, if they treat me well, and if my life is going well in their eyes, then I am happy. And that was sort of the catalyst that brought me, you know, God, that was 17 years ago. So I, I did have the baby. A lot of people ask me that. Like, did you have the baby? I did. He's 16. And yeah, and it just was really sort of the, I always say like life shot me out of a cannon in that moment. And I completely changed my life. 
it's super interesting because I think I mean, we talk to so many people on the podcast. We talk to so many people in our Facebook group, not all of whom have this dramatic a story, but I think almost everyone I know, maybe everyone I know, has gone through some sort of reckoning in their life, some moment where they think, and I think for a lot of women, it can just be motherhood, that it is a reckoning of like, wait a minute, is this where I was trying to get to? Is this who I want to be? And the beginning of that process for you has this very dramatic backstory, but there's a ton of commonality. Do you find that as well, that this is a story that maybe in not such dramatic strokes, but it resonates with people as I've been there in terms of where am I? How did I get here? And how do I get out of where I am? hundred percent. And I don't wish my story on anyone. It was incredibly heartbreaking and traumatizing years and years of therapy. And I still feel the effects of what happened. But I think you're really on it, Margaret. Like I would guess that all of your listeners had some kind of reckoning with motherhood, or maybe it was like a parent aging. Maybe it was getting to a place in their career where they're just like, I cannot believe I got a law degree and I'm here and I hate it. Or even sometimes just midlife can kind of grab you by the shoulders and give you that reckoning that you didn't see coming. And we don't know. It's such a disorienting place to be. And I like to sort of destigmatize that. It's like, it can be, I don't want to take that away from anyone, but it also can be like this massive invitation to really looking at your life and taking inventory so you can change what you want to. I wanted to ask you about radical responsibility because I mean, your story, which is remarkable, how do you take responsibility? I think so many of us as mothers feel like everything that I take on has been sort of handed to me. I don't have a choice. And in your own situation, you were lied to, right? Like somebody really built a set out to deceive you and did successfully. How do you take radical responsibility at a time when you feel like where you've been brought to was something that was beyond your control? Yeah, brought me to my knees. Like, <laughs> And I'm so glad you asked that, Amy, because it's, I don't ever want people to put undue blame on themselves, which is easy to do. You know, one of the things that I kept asking myself, and I was relentlessly beating myself up, is I kept asking myself, how could I have been so stupid? It wasn't like I was a 16 year old girl who didn't know better. I was a 30 year old woman who got into this relationship. And when I say take radical responsibility, for me and my experience, what that really looked like, was taking responsibility for the fact that I had ignored my intuition in both of those relationships. My intuition told me not to marry my first husband, but I did it anyway because we had so much history. I was so close to his family. It was what I knew. I confused chemistry with compatibility, like all of these reasons, which I think are common. And then the second relationship, the first date, my gut was like, Something's off with him, but he's so tall and handsome and, you know, there's so much wine and it was just like a rom-com. Oh, that handsomeness and wine. It can really, really mess with you. He got out his acoustic guitar on the first date, and like played music for me. I was hooked. And my gut was like, girl, run. But I was like, no. <laughs> so a lot of it for me was coming to terms with the fact that I had ignored. I just didn't trust myself. And that was a lot of the work that I've done over the last decade and a half is learning how to not abandon myself over and over again. And a lot of these things exist kind of in, they have to exist in balance because bringing it into the 14 habits that you write about in terms of kind of starting that rebuilding process, you talk about inner criticism and being difficult on ourselves. And it really resonated with me, the idea of like, negative messages that are coming both internally 
and externally. And how do you balance trying to figure out the role of like a critic, an inner critic that is dragging you down, but then also this idea that instinct is there to inform us of good choices. What are the differences between those two things? Is it fair to say that you're asking like, how do we distinguish and determine like, what's the difference between fear and our intuition, like anxiety versus our intuition? Yes, exactly. Or a sense of like a low sense of self-esteem that is telling us like, just we can't do anything right versus I think that's a great way to say it, like fear versus intuition. Anxiety usually feels a little bit like panic. It can feel a lot of different ways for different people, depending on how it sort of manifests in your life. But it it usually is on a loop. You can usually articulate what it's saying. I'm using air quotes. And intuition, where I start with people, like if it's a coaching client or something, I ask them, like, tell me about a time in your life where you ignored your intuition and it kind of fell apart. Like it can be dramatic or not so dramatic. And usually they will tell me one of two stories, either with a relationship and it can be a platonic or romantic one or a job that they knew something was going on or they knew they shouldn't have taken the job and they, they did it anyway. And the reason that I ask that question is because I think without fail, like 100% of the time, someone's been able to tell me a story very quickly. So it's, they remember it, like it's at the surface. So I want to empower people to know, like, you know, like especially women, and I don't know what it's like to identify as a man, but I do think because we are built for motherhood, we do have that sort of like extra sensory sixth sense that helps us to be able to you know, keep our young alive. (laughs) And also that extends into other areas of our life. It is that gut feeling. And so what I ask people to do is the next time you have a gut feeling about something, I want you to work on just assuming that it's right. And most of the time you cannot explain it. You cannot explain it to yourself. You cannot explain it to someone else. It might not seem like there's any real reason for you to feel this way. You just met someone like, how could you, you know, have this weird feeling about them? Just believe yourself. And where I'm getting with that is that you'll start to be able to feel the difference in your own body because it's unique to you. And I can't really sort of like textbook tell you, I can tell you loosely what it's going to feel like. But I think a lot of your listeners probably know what anxiety feels like. And there's a difference between sort of these anxious thoughts that are put on us through the media, you know, the internet. <laughs> horror stories that we hear at, at baby showers. You know, that was one thing I remember, like childbirth. You, we hear all these horror stories about like how painful it is. And I'm not saying it's not painful, but just how scary it is and dangerous it is. I remember when I was in labor with my youngest and just thinking like, oh, my body knows what to do. Like this is beyond me. Like this is inherent. This is nature. So it's those types of scenarios that can kind of help you distinguish what the difference is for you. I sort of answered it and didn't answer it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's right. I think the difference between an anxious thought, the panicking, like external anxious thought versus a sort of deeper knowledge that you have an instinctive feeling as you did in both of your situations that something's not right, that that voice is worth listening to. And the voice of like, oh my gosh, right outside the door, there's a thousand people waiting to kidnap everybody is an anxious thought. And then it it must take some practice, right? To distinguish between intuition and anxiety. Yeah. And this might be helpful for some people, just real quick. Most of the time, our anxious, fearful thoughts are in our head and our intuition, gut feelings are in our body. Mm. We're talking to Andrea Owen. She is the host of the podcast, Make Some Noise, and we'll be right back. 
Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby's skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Andrea, I wanted to ask you about the habit of isolation. I identify with this, particularly when you're going through a really hard time, a struggle, and you need support. However, on top of what you're going through to like knock on people's doors and ask for support seems way harder than hiding under the covers. But I'm thinking that might be counterproductive in, in some ways yeah, for happiness. But I get it. <laughs> yeah, it is 100% understandable for so many reasons. One more surface level is that the world we live in. Of course, I was on social media. I'm sure so many stories start with that. So I was on TikTok and I saw this video of this woman talking about how, and she looked like maybe she was in her 30s, how she wants to start this commune kind of thing. And she had like all these ideas and it was very creative. And the amount, the thousands of comments from other women saying, where do I sign up for this? And it was like, I'm going to buy a plot of land and we can have tiny homes and we can have our cats and dogs and our kids and the men folk can come, but they have to make appointments and like <laughs> all of these like really great things. And it just really got me thinking. And I've had this conversation with my middle-aged friends and you know how many of us want that? Like we're, we're built for community. We want community, but that's sort of like a broad term, right? And you know, we think about like having fun and playing games and laughing, but when it comes to our real problems where we have these feelings that are confusing, that are, you know, 
grief stricken sometimes, like the most vulnerable of the feelings, like that's the part where we tend to isolate. And I'm not talking about, you know, taking a night for self care if you're an introvert and you just like cannot people anymore. Like that's very different. When we isolate, what would be the best thing for us to hear in those moments is for someone to meet us with empathy. And that is, girl, I don't know what to say to you right now. Like, I imagine that what you're going through is just absolute hell. And how can I support you? Like, what do you need from me? That's what I wanted to hear. And we very rarely get that because we don't have conversations with our friends enough about what we need and like how we feel supported, which we can get into. But again, and I say all this to like not blame and shame our friends or not blame and shame ourselves for how we end up there. But isolation is one of those things that I just invite people to look at. Like, where do you do that with your emotions specifically? We did an episode called How to Ask for the Help You Need and Give Help to Other People. Lots of conversations about a million different situations. And you use a term that I wish I'd known when we were talking about that on that episode of the compassionate witness. And talk to us a little bit about that concept and how to be that for other people and seek that for yourself. And I want to start by saying, like, I have not always been this person. You know, like, I I think if my- (laughs) Listen, none of us have ever always been this person, people. Sometimes you're like, tell me the gossip. I want to know it. And then I got to move on with my day. Same. And I think, Margaret, you and I are a lot alike this way, like, especially like in my 20s, my teens and 20s, like, I was the friend, like, I'm going to pull up with gasoline and run straight towards the fire, as you said on my podcast. You, I can, you can always count on me for fun. You can always count on me for bad ideas, but a great story. Will I show up for you and be vulnerable and meet you with empathy and be a compassionate witness? Probably not. It took me a long time of bumps and bruises in my friendships, you know, some major falling out, you know, when it came back to that, like I didn't know how to be a good friend. I preface what I'm about to say with that because I don't think very many of us do. Like we either wasn't modeled for us. It's not taught in high school or college. And so that's why we come to podcasts like these to be able to learn how to do it. And I think what it starts with is taking inventory of like, how do you feel loved and supported? Like when you're having your darkest moments and you're at your most vulnerable, what do you want your friends to say and do? Be specific. Do you want them to maintain eye contact? Do you want them to give you a hug? Do you want them to ask you if you want a hug? And this is some of the work that I do. And also, it's sort of like I use the analogy of, you know, your car has an owner's manual when you get it. Wouldn't it be great if like we came with that too or made up our own? And like, when our friendships progress, you're like, here's my owner's manual. (laughs) and, And here's how I feel loved and supported. And this goes for our romantic relationships too. Everyone's different, but there are typically a lot of commonalities that we all have as humans, just part of the human experience. And it's people tend to not want a solution. When you are in the depths of despair, the thing that helps the most is just being witnessed in a compassionate manner, to know that our experience is like everyone else's, to know we're not alone. Because even when we are in our darkest moments, we might logically know that we're not the only one who's dealt with that. But it's this sort of visceral feeling. You know, those difficult emotions can be incredibly lonely. And that's why I love talking and teaching people how to either be a compassionate witness for someone else and ask for that in your life. 
It's so interesting because you work with high achieving women, right? That's your clientele. We are all high achieving women, right? Anybody yes. listening is a high achieving woman. <laughs> That's you right. get to- it covers a lot. <laughs> right. But it just occurs to me as you're, you know, we're all inside dealing with our own stuff, our own insecurities, our own this, and then presenting to the world as high achieving women. And that I think sometimes that disconnect, you don't seem like you're struggling. You seem like somebody who has your act together. It doesn't mean that you do, but it means like you seem like you do. And so that's, I don't know, feeling like we have to present as capable is maybe another habit that gets in the way of us sort of living our most connected lives. Yeah, I cover that in a couple of the chapters, at least loosely, and around being strong and overachieving. And I feel like as women, we have been socialized at such a young age to put everyone's comfort before our own, to our own detriment. Therefore, we become really great at masking. When our mental health is really suffering, sometimes the voice in our head says, bad moms don't deal with this, get yourself together. And the worst one, and this is how far I had gone, is if I tell people that my mental health is this bad, they will take my children away. Mm. Who they are, I don't know, but I think it can be a real fear. Yeah, they will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it just it's just one of those things where the more we cultivate people in our life who do have the, where the friendship can bear the weight of that, and it's not an easy thing to cultivate, the better off we are and the faster we can get to a place of healing and solution. We've talked to so many guests on the podcast, whether people who got a very horrendous cancer diagnosis or had a child with extreme medical needs, that a through line of those conversations is that it took X for me, it took this terrible thing for me to let go, to stop the juggling and the dancing and the putting on the happy face, and that there was joy in that, you know, in the course of the disaster. And I think it's such a hard lesson for us to learn that we don't have to wait to be like, I may not survive this diagnosis, or I may be at the point of self-harm or some other terrible end of the road to be able to say, I'm going to put my needs first and take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what that looks like is having a person where it's safe to fall apart in front of them. It's part of the human experience. And who, is that a relationship that you're cultivating for those times? Or is that a relationship, like in building good relationships, do you just find those relationships? How does that work? <laughs> Tell us, Andrea, how to solve this problem. Yeah, I think, oh, it's like kind of the million dollar question, right? Do you interview for that on the way in? Will you be a compassionate witness? Yeah. <laughs> so I could put an ad on Facebook Marketplace for it. <laughs> <laughs> Wanted. Yes, I need a compassionate witness in case I ever really hit the end of the line. I feel like Craigslist is a great place to look for those people. There you go. Perfect. No, I think they're definitely built over time. And I, I also tell people because Adult female friendships, like it, that's a whole podcast in and of itself. I'm so glad there's experts who talk specifically about this. But I do think that sometimes these people in our lives are people that we may have even lost touch with. And I know how hard it is to start from scratch with someone. It's like starting from scratch with a therapist. It's like, oh my gosh, it's going to take me five sessions just to even like get you up to like 1995. And so sometimes I tell people, is there anyone in your life that you may have lost touch with or that you only touch base with like on birthdays that is a childhood friend or a sorority sister from college or something like that where you can vulnerably 
intentionally reach out and say, Hey, I am in a place in my life where I'm, I'm looking to really nurture some awesome, beautiful friendships in my life. And you're the first person I thought of, I know we don't talk as often anymore, but would you be willing to have like, let's hop on zoom and like, it just kind of catch up. And there's so much risk in that. I know there's so much emotional risk because she could say yes and then not show up or at least like not show up as you want her to. Or they could say, I just don't have the bandwidth right now. Or, you know, there's all sorts of risk. And, but I do think it's worth trying. It absolutely is worth trying. And it it has to become one of those things that you literally put on your to-do list. I know we have so many things to do, but I'm kind of taking the long way to answer your question. And I guess the short answer is it depends. But I, I just want to say, like, you don't have to start from scratch. I like, think about people who are already in your life that you can just put in the priority to work on. And it. it's worth doing. We're talking to podcaster and author Andrea Owen. And we will be right back. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different Different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Andrew, I want to talk about the concept of that's out there that we should discover the life-changing magic of not giving a stuff about anything, like giving fewer stuffs, right? And how freeing that is and how you're going to change when you just start not caring about anything at all. And I've never identified with that as an avenue that I would be able to go down in the first place. But what are the sort of pluses and minuses of that, like, who cares what people think approach? Yeah. One of the things that irritates me to no end about the personal development industry is what I call the miniaturization of these huge concepts. And so, you know, you're taking a concept that is about other people's opinions, about not taking things personally, and then also like 
people who struggle with approval seeking and people pleasing and you're putting it down into a bite-sized piece and there's just so much nuance to it. So I just want to say that from the get-go. And I think it can be, it's very memeable, you know, like put it on a pillow and it's an ideal situation. But I truly believe that the only people who really don't care what other people think are psychopaths and sociopaths. And I, and I don't mean that to be funny. Like it truly, they just don't have the capacity to really care all that much. How, in a way, how freeing that must be. <laughs> you know, like, I wish there was an on-off switch for that. But the way that I describe it is how about let's take inventory of the people that mean the most to you, like their opinions mean the most. And I think it's this chapter where I, I outline an exercise that I learned, um, trained and certified in the work of Dr. Brene Brown. Probably people have heard of her. And she calls this the square inch box. And so there's a workbook and, and it's a literal square inch box. And in that box, you write the names of the people whose opinion you truly care about. Like it really matters. And one of the questions that when I'm doing this with clients, one of the first questions that, that I hear a lot is my clients say, do I have to write down my mom? <laughs> It's a tiny box for a reason, right? You don't have to put anybody in there. You don't want to. Yeah. And so it's like giving yourself permission to leave. It doesn't mean that you don't care about them. It doesn't mean that really anything except that their opinion can just come and go, that it doesn't have to impact you and it doesn't have to help make your decisions and even just, you know, I invite people listening to do that. Like, a, you know, just draw out a teeny tiny box, like who's people's opinions. And then take a look at those names and check yourself. Like, why does this person's opinion mean so much to you? Is it because you think they, it should? Or is it because you have cultivated a relationship with them where you truly, that your values and your decisions matter to this person or their counsel is important to you. I think also it's that if we are so in the space of like, nothing touches me, I'm Teflon, I don't care about anything. You're not, you're just kind of shoving stuff down. And because of course, I mean, we've said this a lot on the podcast, that hurts because the person was trying to hurt your feelings. It's for a reason that it hurts you because it was either meant to be hurtful or this dynamic is inherently hurtful. And to deny and be like, I'm so strong, nothing touches me. It's just not true. That's the biggest problem with it. Like what your mom says about you, whether your mom is loving and supportive and like has done a great job as a mom or your mom is a toxic, invalidating monster. That person's opinion will matter to you for your whole life. Don't you think? Like, I guess you could put them in the box or not put them in the box, but you have to be. I think part of the exercise is also acknowledging, like, maybe I'm giving this person too much power, but the whole I don't give version of it becomes I'm going to be in denial about how much that bothers me. And I think you have to do the work sometimes of saying, my husband is great at this. He's got a very kind of neutral, I don't know, starting place in a way. And he has an ability to say to me, like, why does it bother you? And is it valid? Like, is this point of view that they have true? And I think we skip that work when we do the like, nothing bothers me. I'm too cool. Right. It's a lot of work to be that brittle and shiny. 
Oh, it's a lot of work. And to be, you talked about it earlier, also to be that strong. I mean, there's the famous meme that it's like, the mom's like, I'm desperate for help. And people are like, you're doing amazing. And she's like, no, 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 I'm literally drowning. You're so strong. It's like what your friend said to you when you were struggling so much that you have a chapter all about this, that strength is seen as such a positive, but it's not necessarily only a positive Yeah, it can for sure serve us. And it it was such an interesting experience to go through when I was going through it because the amount of people that mentioned it, and I honestly think that they didn't know what else to say. So it was sort of the most common sentiment. And I remember thinking, I don't know, the 18th time I had heard it, it's like, what are my other options? You know, like, (laughs) I don't have any other option except to keep putting one foot in front of the other to take it breath by breath, because for me to take it day by day feels insurmountable and I cannot function taking it one day at a time. So here I am one step at a time and I still have to go to work and I still have to answer stupid work emails when my life is completely falling apart around me. And I think that, um, you know, this is America. Like we love, you know, rugged individualism and productivity and checking things off the box. And we love a good redemption story. I love a good redemption story. It makes for great movies. And at the same time, the reality of it, what I noticed going through such a dark place was that I was so tired of being the strong one. And, you know, I, my, my parents got divorced when I was a teenager and people said the same thing about me. I wanted to be the person who fell apart and who was given permission to do that. Like, and it makes me emotional to say this. So please forgive what I would have given for someone to come up to me and say, I know everyone keeps telling you how great you are for being so strong, but if you need a soft place to land and just fall apart, do you want to come over? Like my door is open for you to just completely and unequivocally fall to pieces. I will be here to witness that. And I will hold you and I will not judge you. And I will completely understand. That is what I didn't know that I needed. And therefore, now the thing that I've been able to walk away with is that has made me a better mom. Because I know, you know, my kids are teenagers. And so they're just starting to like have these like emotional like moments in their life with friends and crushes and things like that. And that's how I show up for them is opening the door and inviting them to sit with me while they walk through an incredibly difficult time. And it breaks my mama heart because I want to fix it. I want to like take them by the shoulders and say, tell me who did this to you. (laughs) I will take care of it. And I will find her mom. (laughs) No, but it's about learning resilience and also learning the power of being that compassionate witness. And you talk in the book, and I think it's something that we've wrestled with personally and on the podcast about, you know, I think one of the reasons that we fear emotions, like if I see you, Andrea, as strong, and then I meet you in your weakness, it's very anxiety producing for me. It's like, wait, if Andrea's not okay, maybe no one's okay. And that being able to meet people in that more vulnerable space and teaching our kids that they're Emotions aren't good or bad. Emotions are things that happen as a result of the things that happen to us and that that's okay. I feel like, I feel hopeful that the next generation has more access to that than we did probably growing up. The idea that like, it's okay to feel any emotion and different emotions are appropriate in different circumstances. How does that play out for you in your work and also in your home? 
A hundred percent. So I think, you know, we're all Gen Xers where I think the message of our generation was feelings don't solve, solve problems, you know, pick yourself up, brush yourself off. Buckle up, buttercup. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That was the one I heard a lot too. And I think that, uh, well, I got sober 12 years ago. And so that was a rude awakening of not having any vice anymore that allowed me to run away from my problems because it was alcohol for me. It was a drinking out with my friends. And then it was wine when my kids were really little. And so for me, one of the biggest perspective shifts, and it it came from one of my really dear friends at the time, I had gotten sober and I was going through something really difficult and, and I was crying. And I'm like, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to walk through sober. I had had to feel my feelings. I couldn't drown it in a bottle of Chardonnay. And she said, what if you just looked at feelings as your body's way of taking care of itself. Like if you ate something, if you ate some bad shrimp, you're going to throw up. You're probably going to have diarrhea. You're going to sweat. Like your body just sort of expels whatever it needs to expel based on the information that you have consumed, based on the food you have consumed in that case. What if feelings were just the same? And it's just this information that you consumed. And I was like, the logic of that blew my mind open. Because what I realized is, you know, I grew up feeling like if I open Pandora's box, I'm never going to stop crying. And I also don't want you, Amy, or you, Margaret, to open up your Pandora's box because I might then get in with you and I don't know what to say or how to deal with my own feelings. So I sure as heck can't deal with yours. And I had that core belief. And as soon as I just started to very slowly and kicking and screaming, allow my emotions to pass through me, I'll be darned. (laughs) They didn't go through pretty fast and sort of seamlessly. And it's almost as if I spent so much of my life being emotionally constipated. And then I'd like took the Metamucil. (laughs) The Metamucil was just like- And freedom. And freedom. Yeah. It's still painful. I still massively dislike it. I still would rather not, but it's amazing what just surrendering to it was and not making myself wrong for having the feelings in the first place Mm. makes the whole process go a whole lot easier. Tell us about the Make Some Noise podcast, which I have a feeling sort of ties into this whole idea. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny. You should mention that, Amy. I just <laughs> did a podcast recently. I don't know when this is going to air, but so in Jan- uh, sorry, December 2023 on offloading emotions. Like that's, I do mini-sodes. I do, a, I have a lot of experts on, but sometimes I'll do, like twice a month, I'll do a mini-sode where I just riff on a topic. And that was one of them. Like the ways that we offload our emotions. In other words, you know, there's the stockpiler where you just kind of let it pile up pile up, pile up, and then the repercussions for each of the different ways that we offload emotions. So I also have people like my listeners on the show and I'll coach them live for an episode and those are fun. And so, yeah, I've had it for 10 years. It's me. Hi, I'm the stockpiler. It's me, as they say. (laughs) Andrea, tell us, tell our audience where they can find you, your books and everything Andrea Owen. I am at Hey Andrea Owen on all the social media channels. I spend the most time on Instagram and TikTok. And as you mentioned, the Make Some Noise podcast and my books are in most bookstores, but of course, online. Um, just look for my name, Andrea Owen. Awesome. Put the link to all of those in the show notes. Andrea, thanks for talking to us today. Thanks so much, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun.
If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us 